And a lot of people thought, oh, it's not going to get through its high anytime soon, you know, because they're not cutting rates until next year. But but that type of energy is already building and, and the expectations for rate cuts next year are coming. And what gold does generally is it front runs. It, gold will move well ahead of time because those in, who are trading gold in big, big, in big momentum and big leverage, they kind of understand what's happening and they kind of front run it. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marquez here with you for Arcadia Economics and quite excited today because someone who is a pillar of the silver community, one of my longtime teachers, even long before I started doing videos here on the Arcadia channel, is James Anderson of SD Bullion, obviously an expert of the silver market and quite well versed in things that are going on. And James, it's been a while since we've had you on the show, but couldn't finish 2023 in rightful fashion without checking in with you again. So lots to talk about in the gold and silver markets these days, especially on the heels of a Sunday night that saw new record all-time high for gold. Didn't last too long, but uh, plenty to dig into. So welcome on back. Great to have you here. And how's everything going with you right now? Good, Chris. Thanks for having me back. It's always good to be back here on Arcadia and um, speaking with you, of course. And yeah, it's been a little too long, so we're got a lot to talk about, lots to catch up on. Yes, and I'm going to pull up the chart from what we saw Sunday night, where I think people are pretty familiar with it by now, but we had a spike following some touching on a new high last Friday in the session, and then here we see in the gold market opens about 2070-ish, gets up actually above 2150. Um, came back in quite a bit, uh, had a rough Monday and Tuesday this week. Silver, uh, not as extreme, but a similar pattern. And why don't we start there? Just any thoughts you have on what we saw and perhaps why it's happening and anything else along those lines? Yeah, so I think this happened right as the market opened and the Globex trading uh, or, you know, the, the area where China is not even open just yet. And it's like it's the lowest volume time in terms of trading typically it's one of the lowest and uh you know to move the market either up or down in that time frame is, is doesn't require as much capital i don't think as it might require if you tried to pull that at like 9 a.m in new york uh so you know the, the speculation was why was that happening and uh everybody has their pet theories but nobody really knows because uh, we don't work in, in the levered comics derivative and uh, London casinos, and uh, we don't know exactly all the different players, and we can't speculate as well as probably they might. Um, but even then, like we were talking in the pre-interview about how, in my experience in this industry for the last 15 plus years or so, uh, talking with people who worked in the 1970s, 1980 bull run, uh, there would be kind of a competition on some of the major trading desks a lot where reporters would call the desk on a day where there was volatility and the traders had a competition amongst each other to see who could say the most nonsense and get it printed in the print in the paper as being the reasoning for why the price moved. And, uh, that was, um, you know, basically it just shows that, that, you know, when you read things in the paper about why things did what they did, I mean, uh, take that with a, a, a grain of salt because, you know, the markets are kind of opaque and we don't really know exactly why what's doing what, but I mean, Ultimately, last Sunday night, there was a bunch of reasons that people came up with. I mean, we had 
some type of drone bombing on stuff on various uh, boats uh, in the uh, Red Sea or near the Suez Canal. And the Pentagon immediately pointed at Iran. And uh, so Iran is one of the major remaining Middle East countries that the Pentagon long since the early 2000s and neocons have been trying to subvert and overturn. I mean, they had a list of like seven countries and they pretty much knocked them out. I mean, they had Syria, Libya, Iraq, Lebanon. I mean, you know, you name it. A lot of these countries have kind of gone by the wayside. The old Soviet client regimes, they wanted to topple those regimes and pincer in, you know, Russia. And in doing so, they made Russia and China become better, closer allies. So bravo, Pentagon. Uh, but um but yeah, that was one thing, one reason people perhaps thought, you know, oh man, we're escalating in terms of war. The other one is just simply technically. I mean, if you were trying to blow out people uh, who were on the short side, if you came in and just blew out the price quickly, you'd all of a sudden get them algorithmically stop lossing quickly and the price would zoom up. And then you could uh, at that moment then sell and take a huge profit from getting them when their feet were, you know, when they were on their back feet and not realizing that that, that attack was coming. So it could be another form of just a simply a short-term manipulation upwards to try and make a short-term profit really quickly because a lot of these people have become a lot of people on the short side have become a little bit complacent because they you know last three years we've been moving sideways and a lot of people thought oh it's not going to get through its high anytime soon you know because they're not cutting rates until next year but but that type of energy is already building and, and the expectations for rate cuts next year are coming and what gold does generally is it front runs. It, gold will move well ahead of time because those in, who are trading gold in big, big, in big momentum and big leverage, they kind of understand what's happening and they kind of front run it. And so that's probably what this is. It's just the beginning of the, of the eventual move toward 2,500, 3,000 in the next few years. So um, I'm, I'm pleased by it because when you break a chart and you look at a chart, you can see that 2,100 has been eclipsed. So, I mean, it just makes the room for eventually getting over 2100 and sticking it and going to 22, 23, all that much more easy because you've already busted the ceiling. Yeah, that makes sense. And as we were talking about before we hit the record button, certainly uh, in terms of the $2,000 line, obviously these things don't always go up in a straight line, although we've spent a couple of years touching, crossing over, coming back under that. So certainly uh, if we're to the point where We've seen the last of gold below 2000, uh, some some activity happening to support that and wouldn't just be a spark out of nowhere. Um, James, I'm curious, though, in terms of gold and silver, we've seen quite a rally really since early October. How much do you, that do you think is due to what's going on in the Middle East? Obviously, you talked about how there's ongoing speculation of when the Fed's going to cut rates. I think there's also a degree to which people outside of the gold and silver community are also starting to realize there is the possibility of an issue funding some of the treasury debt that is set to roll over and, and the pace that it's going. How do you break down? What do you think is really driving this? Of course, we also have China continuing to import large amounts of gold. What do you think is really behind the different the, the key factors that are moving it. I think you mentioned a bunch of good reasons why on day to day, you know, move to move that there's various rationalizations for why things are happening. But ultimately, you know, in the big, in the big picture of things, so the amount of unbacked monetary aggregates that are kind of out there in the world. And when you're talking about the fiat currencies, the M zero M one supplies, 
versus the gold reserves that have been going up at record paces in the last few years. I think most people who are looking at this kind of understand that the central banks are ahead of the curve. They're the ones who are, you know, who more or less have created this fiat financialized system and it's kind of coming toward its in-game in phase. That's at least what many of us believe in the bullion industry. And we're, you know, that's a long way still to go in terms of uh, where that in-game phase is gonna, you know, what it will turn into eventually. But in that process, you're gonna have a lot of, uh, a lot of confusion and a lot of uh, instability and gold, gold enjoys instability and gold enjoys recessions. And that's probably what we've got coming up recessions and rate cut cycles and dollar weakness. Cause the dollar, you know, relatively has been pretty strong versus other major fiat currencies around the world. But at some point it's going to have a secular bear market. That's going to run five, 10 years, maybe longer. And in that process, gold's going to reassert itself as, as numero uno in terms of store value, uh, you know, that you can actually own outright and have zero counterparty risk with. So central banks are just ahead of that, I think, at the moment. And uh, the others are following, but, you know, it's more of like short term, medium trades, medium term trades. But in the longer run, in most of these people who are in the gold market and who will be coming in the gold market, I think, understand uh, being on the long side is going to be the more consistent winner uh, because you can. <laughs> A price of two thousand dollar an ounce gold is going to be looked back upon as being something that was cheap, you know, when it's all said and done, and and it'll be cheap for many many years and probably forever in the sense of the fiat currencies that you're using to to denominate them in. I mean, they're going to just keep going higher because those are going to keep inflating away and debasing. Yeah, and it's interesting that you and you think about where the price is at. I mean, maybe people are getting a little more optimistic in the gold community in the past month or two, yet. You look back, $250 around the turn of the century. So about an 8x from there would be interesting if over the next 20 years you see something similar. And perhaps we're looking at the 2000 level as as cheap compared to where things go from here. I mean, a lot of the factors that have driven the price from 250 bucks back then are still in play and perhaps a little bit. Closer to a breakpoint than what we've seen. Although on the silver side, we're still sitting around uh, just a little bit over $24 today, had been above 25 and just a short time period ago. What do you see happening with silver? And are we close to the point where it catches up? How high does gold go where we, I mean, does gold get to 22, 2300 and silver is still under 30? Obviously, on the silver side, a lot of people waiting for that moment where it reasserts itself. And I'm curious what you're seeing there. Yeah, I, I've been watching of late, you know, kind of the gold silver ratio and trying to figure out in the long term where the where the break is when it happens, kind of when silver will go on a good rally and run. Um, if you look back at the long term, well, not even long term. I mean, if you look back over the last, say, five years or so, just on the gold silver ratio, I mean, if you see a gold silver ratio cut below 75, right now we're at 84. Uh, it's been going up lately, and that's why you've seen silver underperform gold. Um, it kind of gyrates back and forth. You'll see gold stronger than silver and silver stronger than gold, vice versa, et cetera. But, but yeah, I mean, we're at 84, and to see it go back down toward the 75 level is really what I'm keying on. you got to see it go down to low 70s. That's the currents, and silver is going to go on a major rally and major run. And I would expect that that's the, that's what's happening. You're seeing silver at 30 and then beyond uh, when that move starts to occur. Uh, you know, specifically exactly when that's going to happen, I would assume it's probably around when the rate cuts are, are 
are coming and, and everybody in the market kind of sees it coming and gold has already rallied really hard. And then people go for beta with the silver trade and silver gets rallied upon after. So gold leads, silver follows, it's typical how it goes. And I would expect that would be kind of the same thing that we see in the future. Okay. And sounds like you are thinking that the rate cuts will be one of the key drivers for that, which now we're seeing possibilities of March, which I think might be a little bit early, but I'll pull up the probabilities here. Is that what you see really as the next stage forward here? Yeah. The question I think is really, why are the rate cuts going to happen? What is the excuse for why they need to have the rate cuts? What kind of recession are we having? I mean, I've seen interviews or surveys out there with some of the highest net worth, uh, you know, investment, family offices, et cetera, and, and, the, and as well as sovereign wealth funds and, and pension funds. And in the, in the surveys, they said, I think 53%, almost half of them said next 12 months, you'll have a global recession. And here you're looking at the, the bottom half is probably the easiest one to understand. Um, where you see the uh, days to meetings and then the ease versus no, no change or hype, uh, you see a huge amount of agreement that by June, almost 100% of them who have been surveyed say that there'll be a rate cut by June of next year, um, 86% in May. So the market pretty much thinks by, by halfway through next year, there'll be a rate cut cycle beginning. And Sorry for all the stock bulls out there who've been waiting for this and think that the stock market's going to ramp and run higher. But I mean, the history of the rate cut cycle in the 21st century has been rate cuts happen because a recession happens and the stock market tanks typically doesn't do well. Um, maybe it won't go down nominally, but it'll lose in real, real purchasing power because I mean, ultimately, if you look at a long term chart, gold and the S&P often meet at one and often in the gold bullion bull market, it goes beyond one. Meaning if you have an ounce of gold, you can get, um, you know, at least at least you can afford one share of the S&P 500. And I think in 2011, it got down to like 0.75. And I'm expecting in this bull market, mania, it'll go down to half or maybe beyond in the spiking and the craziness that comes. So, yeah, people who get stuck in, you know, people who've been in the stock market, I understand, you know, it's been a good it's been a good place to be for the last five, six, seven years, roughly, as long as you can stick out the craziness of COVID. But uh, I, I get the sense that we're in that kind of bubble phase where it's gone down and people are kind of in that, that, that section of the, of the bubble where it's like you're kind of you're hoping to get back to new all time highs and that things will go back to what, the way they were in the last few years. But I, I highly doubt that. I, I don't think that there's much room left fundamentally for the stock bubble to keep blowing out. So ultimately, I think we're going back toward a commodity bull run later on this decade. And the ones that will lead the commodity bull run right now are gonna be the monetary precious metals. We've talked about gold and then later silver. Okay, and certainly I understand what you're saying. And we, we may maybe have seen a lot of the run up already in the stock market as they've been anticipating the cuts. Anytime Jerome Powell doesn't guarantee that there's another rate hike, we've, we've seen rallies in the stock market and perhaps a lot of what could be coming priced in already. Although back to the metals, uh, as you mentioned towards the end there, you had an interesting tweet the other day that I was hoping you could perhaps elaborate on saying silver, most suppressed market since 1873. And you look back at some of the values based on inflation rates and what things could have been. And I thought this was an interesting one. Perhaps you could walk through for people. Sure. I mean, it's a, it's a long-term chart. 
using uh, the government CPI data, which really began getting rigged after the 1980 experience of almost losing to gold outright in terms of gold being so expensive for a year or beyond that we could have gone back on a pseudo gold standard if we had so chosen. I mean, gold had been the amount of official gold reserves that the United States had. Uh, they were valued at such a high price that we could have covered the amount of fiat U.S. dollars that were outstanding, at least on the M0 supply. Um, so what we're looking at here is just taking all this on the left-hand side is taking the government CPI. And like I said, after that 1980 experience, the government, you know, increasingly got to rigging the inflationary uh, data. And it makes total sense. Their motive is, you know, they're the biggest debtor, you know, government ever. And they owe a lot of future payments based on what's happening with inflation. So, of course, it's in their best interest to underreport the inflation. And to increasingly do so as we get further and further down this debt super cycles ending. And so that's what we have. We have a situation where they've been lying to us increasingly so for four decades, over four decades compounding. And the right side is the shadow government statistics, which is John Williams's website. And, you know, I, I, I take, uh, I think it's the truth is probably somewhere between. It's very, very difficult to look at John's numbers looking backwards and seeing, you know, a silver price high. $50 an ounce in 1980 worth at the moment, 1,350 an ounce. I mean, that is how many multiples, 50 bucks worth that much now from 1980 to today. Uh, you know, the, the hard thing is, is that we get better and more productive as time goes on. And like, for instance, in 1980, um, our productivity wasn't near what it is now in terms of doing things at a cheap level and, and, and the products that we create doing it for less than we did back then. We've just gotten better with technology and machinery and and just knowledge as human beings. So, uh, but, but, you know, 1350, that's a huge multiple. That is how many, seven, 27 times. Uh, you know, I don't think, the, I don't think the Dallas lost, you know, the 27 times, you know, that's a huge amount of multiples. So, you know, the, if you just use the government CPI data, the 1980 high was 166. And I think this 1980 high of 166, you know, that was a mania, but it wasn't, near as big a mania potentiality that we have coming up for silver and gold. You know, this one won't just be the Western world. This will be the entire world involved. And back then it was a lot different. It was, it was the speed of technology, the speed of communication. Uh, that's the one thing that really changes, I think, the confidence level. We don't know exactly where that loss of confidence is, that threshold where all of a sudden you get the masses losing confidence in the stores of value that they're supposed to uh, hold within each country. But I think that that barrier is going to get meet, met and crossed at some point. And that's where you're going to have this gold and silver mania phase, you know, kick into overdrive and go exponential. So, you know, pick a number between 166 and 1349. That's probably going to end up being something where the spike, the spike uh, peaks at uh, if the fiat US dollar can survive what we go through. And, you know, there's people who think that it'll go up into hyperinflation. I, I don't know if I'm in that camp. I certainly hope not. I mean, the, the fiat British pound has been around for how long? Uh, multi hundreds of years. And I don't know, when they go full fiat, I guess in the, in the 20s and 30s, uh, more or less, they kind of lost their, their, their backing with gold and silver and the US dollar kind of became reserve currency of the world after that. So, but the British pound has been around for a long time and I, I I you know it's hard to it's hard for me to think that the fiat US dollar will go up in complete smoke, but you know it, even if it doesn't, we're going to go through a very very highly inflationary period because we can't afford what we promised. And the best 
the most logical, most conservative, historically, uh, way to, to guess how this is going to go is that we're just going to base the hell out of the currency. I mean, that's the bottom line. The currency has to be devalued so that the government can nominally pay off what they have claimed they'll pay off. There's no guarantee as to what that's going to be worth, right? Like you'll get your social security check. It'll say a number on it, but it's probably not going to buy what it once did, you know, in terms of goods and services. Yeah, and we've seen, as you pointed out earlier, and certainly we talk about quite a bit, we've seen central banks buying gold. We've seen investors going to gold. Sometimes there's debate, is silver a monetary metal? Is it an industrial metal? Obviously, it's being used heavily industrially. I think there's a subset of people that see it as a monetary metal as well. What? How do we know that that's still going to hold? Let's say we do have that situation where there's a lot of printing by the Fed, which that seems perhaps like the easy part to imagine. Is there a scenario where silver doesn't can maintain its role as a store of value? Um and it's just industrial and not treated the same as gold? So that's, yeah, I mean, there's kind of two things to that. Gold, at first off, is the one that's going to lead, and it's going to be getting its monetary bid mainly, right? Uh, silver is the one that follows later when gold outperforms and, and really does well. Eventually, people kind of turn to silver for the beta trade. Oh, they just don't want to buy gold at a price that high. and They, they see silver can offer them similar characteristics, so they buy silver on a monetary level and they use it as a store of value. And that's been happening really since the 2008 global financial crisis, increasingly so in the United States and as well in other places like India and, 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 uh, and even in Europe, you know, I mean, for instance, in Germany, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who had grandparents or, you know, people who were in their family lineage who went through hyperinflations and that, that experience is still there, that, that, that uh, those warnings are still there. And that's why Germany is a powerhouse when it comes to buying gold bullion and silver bullion until recently when they raised the VAT taxes on it. But, but ultimately, um, yeah, silver is an industrial metal. And, but there are times where it becomes the monetary bid just jacks it up so high. And will it last forever in terms of the monetary bid for silver? That's hard to, hard to say because we don't know what system we're going into next and what the authorities are going to try and do. The authorities at some point could try, you know, I could paint a, ter a dark picture where they're tyrannical and they don't want silver or gold being traded at all. And they try and, you know, make it almost illegal to own or hold like they kind of did with gold in the 30s. Um, you know, but but then again, if you look back at 1933, what happened is, yeah, they said bring in your gold and only like a, just over a quarter of it was turned in and three fourths of it people kept. So they said, OK, nice fiat edict by decree, but we're going to keep our gold and you can go shut up off. And uh, that gold just stayed with people's pockets and everyone was mum. And that gold is still around in massive amounts. Uh, you know, in terms of pre-1933 gold coinage, you see it on pretty much every bullion dealer's website. They sell uh, these these older great-granddaddy hoarded coins, right? So, you know, whatever the authorities try and do doesn't mean necessarily they're going to be effective at it, but it may change the way that the market trades. You may have a situation where the spot of silver is claimed this, but the bullion value on the street uh, is a totally different thing. And so it's a question of what, what type of future are we going into? What are the authorities going to try and do? You know, those kinds of things. But ultimately, you know, it just goes back to the fact that we have huge amounts of fiat currency monetary aggregates that are outstanding. And they have to devalue all the promises in the Western world that they've made that they can't keep. And in that kind of situation, gold and silver reassert themselves monetarily.
Well, I hear you, and that actually ties in nicely to the next thing that I wanted to go through with you, where here we have our long-term silver chart. This is going back to even the 20s here, when silver at 60 cents. And in terms of is silver matching inflation, obviously, we could look at it. Silver is half of its 1980 and 2011 highs. And certainly, I think there's some fair thought put into that school of thought, although something I've thought about, mentioned a couple times here before, but 1980, we had stagflation building. We had people becoming concerned about the currency back then, which necessitated Volcker raising interest rates to 20%. 2011, we had some similar unusual conditions where something called QE2 was invented and let's just monetize the bonds and certainly had some people concerned. So in each case, maybe you could label that as fear or extreme concern. Obviously, 1980, the move was a bit quicker, uh, lasting only a couple of weeks and months versus had a whole summer and then another year or so of prices above 30 back during the 2011 spike. But some brief periods and the system has been maintained. Yet, if we look back here at silver 60 years ago, a buck 30 up to $25 today, that's about a 19x return, which I back out about a 5% return per year. If you are able to look at these as temporary anomalies just for a moment, whether someone agrees that's the case or not, take those out and our chart of silver responding to money creation, not entirely dissimilar from what we see in gold here. So curious, any thoughts you have there? I mean, is that a reasonable way of looking at it? And you could say that silver has been a pretty good hedge against inflation. And if you ever do have a failure in the treasury or, or just massive money creation, then perhaps that's when you see maybe for a more extended period of time, a bigger spike. Curious, any thoughts you had on that and what might be a good way to be thinking about silver over time? Right. So gold, uh, the chart that you showed earlier, I mean, since 1970 to today has outperformed the stock market. Someone would say, well, that's because it was you know, artificially suppressed in the 60s at $35 an ounce. Cool. Same story since 2000. I mean, 2000 to 21st century gold has outperformed the stock market in general. If you look at the overall price performance versus the S&P, et cetera. And I'm not bringing dividends or compounding in, you know, dividends into this. Uh, if you did what Warren Buffett did perfectly, then you probably outperformed gold. Uh, but generally, most retail investors aren't that way. So um, gold is done just fine in terms of uh, storing your value in the 21st century. And I don't see any, <laughs> any, any change in direction fundamentally as to why it wouldn't continue to do that uh, for at least the next foreseeable 5, 10 maybe 20 years. Um, but uh, in terms of silver, you know, silver has been, has been artificially suppressed for a long time for the most part. Uh, there's been a couple times where it kind of started to get away and run away and, um, and eventually that'll happen again. But I mean, since the demonetization of silver in like 1873 after the U.S. Civil War, I mean, the, the price of silver or the value of silver has, has uh, most of the time been suppressed. And, and so we truly don't understand where silver really belongs in terms of its relativity to gold in a modern industrialized world that we're in today versus, you know, 
1873 is a totally different story. I mean, the amount of gold and silver that we could pull from the ground was nothing compared to what we can do today. So we're just in a different era, um, but but we're in an era that's a lot more dangerous and a lot more leveraged in terms of uh, giving potential for gold and silver to really go crazy. Um, yeah, so silver had a, a couple runs, right? The 70 to 1980 run was uh, dri driven by a lot of inflationary fear. And, and obviously there's a mix between greed and fear that come when it comes to silver and gold. Both of them are drivers in terms of why people go into them, buy them, why they get levered in long into them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we also had a run like that from 2000 to 2011. And, you know, right now, last three or four years, we've been consolidating in a range, but generally those types of consolidations are the precipice before the next major spike. Like if you look at that pre 2011 spike, you see that gyration from the 2008 high to the 2008 low during the GFC, that, that whole spiking Area, yeah, that whole thing. You can see how it kind of went down, up, and then boom, it shot off. We're kind of still on that down level, but wait till we get beyond 30 and see what happens. You know, that that's really the what happens when we clear 30 um, and it's 32, 33, and it's driving up towards 40. And then, of course, 50 will be the next hurdle, and that'll take time as well. Uh, but ultimately, silver is going beyond 50 an ounce. And, um, and the question is, what happens? What kind of energy is exploding beyond 50 an ounce? And when, when does that happen and under what conditions? Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, it's silver is, it's just one of those things where you, you can make a lot of value gains with silver if you time it right and you hold a decent position and you ride out that, that era where it's allowed to kind of run and, and we, can, we can allow it to run and see where fair value might be. So when that happens, when you start having that major run, as you get, to, as you continue to get profits, you, you might, your position might grow in terms of what your silver wealth is versus the rest of your wealth in liquid net form. And, you know, for me at that point, you have silver 75, hundred bucks an ounce. It would make sense to then take some of the silver that gains that you have and probably sell some, take some profit, move it into another asset class. That's real, maybe real estate, what have you, something outside of the fiat financialized matrix that I think at that time is going to be falling apart. Um, and, and just take a little off the table. You never, you never want to keep all your eggs in one basket. And especially if that basket keeps growing, you always want to take some profit along the way. But as long as you're under a full fiat currency dystopic regime, like we've been for the last 50, 60 years, as long as they're trying to pull that stunt on you, you always want to keep some physical bullion and, and, you know, kind of keep mum as to how much you have and who knows about it. But in the end, having some of that makes sense long-term because it, it tips, typically does well in terms of storing value in a system like that. Yeah, and James, one uh, question based on something you were saying in there. You mentioned going back to 1873 that silver has been suppressed. And for some people who might be hearing that school of thought for the first time, or for other people who have heard both sides of that argument, I was wondering if you could just be a little more specific what you mean there and when you when you say that. So right now, uh, I'll get to you know the modern day equivalent of that, but. I think when you look at the 1873, what happened, it was the silver demonetization. What you had in the United States was uh, a lot of people moved out west for the California gold rush, and there was a lot of development out west. But the banking power really was still in the industrial northeast, especially in New York. And um, they had a lot of gold. They didn't have all that much silver. And those wildcats out in the west had both. And they wanted to, uh, they wanted to consolidate and, and basically uh, drive them out and buy them out for cheap. 
And in order to do that, the best way to do that was to demonetize silver, which they could mine pretty easily. And they were getting a lot of table, you know, when you had a lot of silver, you were able to pay off your debts. But if you all of a sudden make silver not legal tender, then now you have to pay your debt back in gold. So good luck. We have a lot more gold than you. Uh, if you can't pay your debt, we'll come and buy you off for a dime or nickel on the dollar that once was worth. And we'll just get larger and more powerful as, uh, as the decades unfold. That happens today, but it happens a lot faster than it used to. The silver demonetization took 25 years, 20 odd years to kind of create a political revolution in the United States with the free silver movement. And anyone who knows anything about William Jennings Bryan and the free silver movement understand that people out West uh, weren't happy the fact that silver was demonetized because it was a consolidation of all the, all the wealth that they had created. And the banks were coming after it and then consolidating and taking them over and ruining their lives. And so you had a huge political movement in the early 1900s and the free silver movement didn't work and they lost, right? But, but pretty much since that time, silver's kind of been kept you know, under wraps. Only in the 70s was it allowed to run with the comics trading that happened in the late 70s. And then as well, we had it in 2000s where consistently from 2001 to 2011, the levered longs on the silver side won out mostly uh, versus the levered shorts. And that obviously changed from 2011 to 2015. You know, it was the other way. 2016 to what, 2020 or so, it was pretty, you know, slightly up for the longs. But um, COVID happened and people, you know, who were caught long got, got crushed because you had the spot price rise that, you know, drive down to 13. And then same story, flip it. We go 13 to 30 very quickly. Uh, and here we are now, last few years, people are tired. They're, they're, they're fed up. They're sick. They go, how long is this manipulation going to last? Well, it's going to last until there's shortages, until you find a place where it's very hard to even get the stuff because it all kind of goes in hiding. And all you, get, all you can do is go buy the unsecured derivative. You can go buy the unsecured ETF slush funds. You can't find any bullying. And if you do, the prices are absorbent, right? You know, 2020 was kind of like that, 2021, 2022 in the bullying market. But we're going to see it again, you know, when the next second half of the, of the global financial crisis kind of comes about and we have to go through a, a major reckoning of the system. Uh, you're going to have another shortage era where bullion will just diverge and outperform any unsecured derivative that's available in, in the system. So what you see is a lot of front running. You see a lot of people, central banks buying at record size and gold. You see China buying huge amounts of industrial silver because they know they need it. Uh, it's like part of their economy. If they don't have massive amounts of thousand ounce bars to produce widgets and, and electronics and solar panels, they're going to be caught short and that'll be a problem for them. So I think they've been front running it over the last few years. A lot of that ETF silver has probably been going to China. Uh, you have a lot of savvy, I think, United States citizens who understand the long term of this and who have been buying in major, major quantities since 2008. But and have had patience, uh, you know, waiting on this. But, you know, we're one of those people. You and I are the same. We're, we're in that camp. And the fundamentals haven't changed. Nothing has changed. The question is, are you willing to sit, stick it out? And, and are you willing to actually have a portion of your portfolio? Uh, to benefit when this when this finally this blow off finally does occur again. So you think that this is headed to a shortage at some point based on the way sure. everything lines up right now? Totally. I mean, it. You have a situation where, where you know, people look at twenty one hundred dollar gold and what happened on Sunday night is like, oh, that's like a blow off top. Now we're going into a bear market. <laughs> it's like this is not even close. Like $2,000, ounce gold is dirt cheap in the, in, the, in the big picture of things. I mean, you have third world countries that sell off their gold at, at, at cheap prices because that's what the cultural price is. But, you know, eventually when you get when gold remonetizes itself and it starts going back towards a situation where 
you know, we have 40% coverage of the monetary aggregates. I mean, you're talking about gold at 10, 15, $20,000 an ounce. If we get back toward, if we swing back toward a world where we have a better coverage of uh, official gold and the monetary aggregates. And right now, I mean, we're at low single digits. It's not even, it's not even close. We have many multiples to go and a long road ahead, but, but this is just a start. I mean, we, we, strap in it's, this is not i don't think it's happening overnight i think it's going to be many many years ahead maybe there'll be a couple you know there'll be a couple news events where it does gap up in multiples that's possible you know where the where the system has to be reset because they want to get it overdone quickly but yeah gold's got to go a lot higher it's got to go a lot higher this is this is just kind of like the blips that you're seeing before it starts to really make a major move yeah and perhaps one final one to wrap up on along those lines, another factor that you mentioned in one of your videos, I believe this was from the one last week where you have 71% of advisors have zero to 1% exposure to gold. I'm guessing it's even lower for silver. And certainly if we see that change, I, I guess that's a little bit of a binary where we imagine if silver gets over 30, if gold starts really moving gets to, you know, we've seen it in 2100, but once you have that factor change, then that could certainly be another driver in what we could see going forward. Yeah, certainly. You have a huge, huge amount of capital, much, much larger in terms of the uh, nominal amount that's outstanding in the world that's uncovered, untouching silver or gold. And this is investment advisors, and this is, I believe, Tabby Costa published this. This is Bank of America Global Research. So this is just the percentage of investment advisors that have exposure of nothing to 1% in gold, and that is the vast majority of them. So many of them have absolutely no allocation. And what you end up having in gold is kind of a positive feed, feedback loop where if you buy gold or if you allocate to gold and it performs well, it creates a you know, a positive feedback loop, meaning that more and more people kind of start following toward that. And then you end up having a commodity bull run with gold being probably one of the major leaders of that commodity bull, mark, bull run. And you'll end up seeing a lot more allocation, a lot more hot money, a lot more capital flows chasing the sector. So it just shows you how far away we are. I mean, back in like the late 70s, early 80s, investment advisors on the general would tell people, oh, you need to have 10% allocation in gold and silver. And that was just typical, you know, very typical. And that, that, that trope still exists today. People still talk about 10% as if that's a, a logical <laughs> amount of allocation for someone's liquid net worth to be in a bullion or precious metals related when we live in a fiat, full fiat financialized you know, world that's coming undone. Uh, you know, that's basically where that trope comes out of is the, the 1979, 1980 era. But, but yeah, I mean, it, that's what you're looking at. You're looking at a system uh, where the central banks are front running it and eventually investment advisors will, will catch on, but that'll probably be around $2,500, $3,000 an ounce gold. And, and they'll create a positive feedback loop that could drive it much higher. Well, that's certainly one of the factors that I think people are looking forward to and a lot of reasons to expect that we have not seen the end of a uh, gold bull market. I think you're correct on that, especially when we, look at and see what's going on in the world. And James, perhaps before we close up, you could let people know where to find you. Obviously you have the great SD Bullion YouTube channel and where you keep people updated on a lot of these things that are going on. And uh, maybe you could mention what you're doing there. Sure. So every week, typically Friday at the end of trading, I'll, I'll publish a video that usually runs 10 to 15 minutes long. Uh, and I just try and curate the most important information that I came across for the week. Uh, that's gold and silver related. 
Uh, a lot of it's data driven, a lot of charts and graphics and such like that to try and create a narrative. So I'm trying to explain what I saw and what I, I think in terms of uh, what it means perhaps and what the future may hold. Um, so I, I try and give a, a short synopsis so people's time is uh, respected and they can come through and watch within 10, 15, 20 minutes. And I try and give them the gist of at least what I saw that week, what, uh, what types of things are on my radar and what they may find interesting as well. And so, yeah, that's basically what I'm doing for SD Bullion for the most part. And then I also have, I'm on Twitter. You can find me at, at James Henry Ann, uh, at James Henry Ann on Twitter. And I do publish a lot of charts and data and graphics on that as well. And it's gold and silver related pretty much the entire uh, Twitter handle. Well, James, I appreciate all you're doing out there for the gold and silver community, providing a lot of good information and not ramming it down anyone's throats, but just letting people see what you're seeing going on out there and giving them some things to think about. And of course, it's always a pleasure to catch up with you again on the show. So appreciate that and everything you're doing and uh, hope you're having a great holiday down there and getting ready for 2024, which I imagine will be an eventful one in the financial markets. I suppose they all are in some sense, but uh, yeah, it should be an interesting time for gold and silver and we'll to catch up again and do this soon. All right, Chris, it's good to be with you and cheers to everybody out there who watched. All right. Thanks, James.